Welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about Black women business owners. Brought to you by Black Enterprise, I'm your host, Elisa Gums. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in the country. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we'll sit down with one CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a Black woman in business. Today's episode is all about investing in Black women. We're chatting with Olamide Aloe, founder and CEO of Topicals, a skincare company that's transforming the conversation around beauty. And she's also the youngest Black woman to raise a million dollars, having raised 2.6 million last year. Welcome to Sisters Inc. Olamide, and thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So before we get into the business, I want to start with how you became passionate about skincare in the first place. You and your co-founder have both been candid about the fact that you grew up as women of color with visible skin conditions. Uh, What was that like for you? I grew up with a ton of chronic skin conditions and the type of skin conditions that you didn't really hear about. So this wasn't just like the acnes of the world. I had things like boils, ingrown hairs, a lot of things that, you know, people my age weren't talking about having. Um, I know growing up, I was someone who was very hairy from a young age, like really early. I was growing armpit hair. I was going through puberty. And I think for myself, I felt really isolated from the typical beauty conversation, right? Um, I think because I had sensitive skin that was really reactive, I couldn't really opt into the same things that other people were using, like the fragranced body washes or the the perfumes. And so because of that, I grew up always tinkering and looking for solutions and products that could help with some of these skin conditions. And so I was always that kid on YouTube searching up uh, hair growth hair mask or how to get rid of dark spots. And so I would concoct these different things um, in hopes to find a product that worked for me because growing up, uh, going to the dermatologist was an ordeal, right? I think most people know that there are only about 5% of dermatologists in the United States are Black or African American. And so going to a dermatologist, a lot of times I would hear things like, I'm not exactly sure what this is, or I've never seen this in my patient population. And so I just grew up one, not fitting into the beauty landscape, and then two, not fitting into, you know, the dermatological landscape. And that really pushed me to um, want to become a dermatologist. And so went to UCLA. Um, I was also an athlete there. I ran track on full scholarship and was balancing the demands of being a student athlete. And so um, very quickly, I came to understand that being a student athlete was almost impossible. And so I was really fortunate during my sophomore year to become the best friends with Rochelle Dennis, whose father is Rich Dennis, who owns Shea Moisture. And she had grown up watching her dad build, you know, Shea Moisture into a giant. She had slept on the floors in the, you know, warehouses, packing boxes to Macy's and was like, we should build a brand together. You have the the science on, you know, skin and I have you know, the marketing and business background from my dad, like let's build a brand um, and let's call it Shea Girl. It'll be a brand for young women, just like us in puberty, in high school, middle school. And that's really where I I first saw beauty in a way that wasn't just, um, I guess like more consumer facing. I had seen beauty for the first time in a business landscape and I got the bug and I was hooked. I was so hooked. So um, you've also shared that growing up, you you rarely, if ever, saw any kind of representation of skin that looked like yours on TV 
and in magazines. And, and part of what you're trying to do now is to really like change that conversation about skincare and beauty, right? Yeah, I think brands create cultural scripts. So they write these narratives that we all subscribe to, right? You know, we see certain things in magazines, in movies, and then you see it on the runway, right? Um, you see it in hallways. You see people wanting to emulate that style. And so for the beauty industry, for the most part, it was very much made of made up of a lot of people who didn't look like myself or yourself. And so you struggled sometimes to find someone who connected or whose style you could really emulate. And so for me, when creating topicals, I really wanted to create a brand that anyone could see themselves in, especially people who were outsiders, quote unquote. So these are people who maybe had a visible skin condition or had darker skin tones or just didn't really see themselves as a beauty person. I wanted them to see the brand, see a ton of different representations of what beauty could be. You mentioned that you got your first taste of what it was like to be in the business of beauty while you were in college and you were completely hooked. Um, so when it came time to starting this business, what was the startup process like for you? So it was still very, very hard. I think a lot of people might think that, you know, you had an in, you were able to, to get your foot in. And while it was a, an ex amazing experience, and I owe the Danis family so much for taking me in and really teaching me about the business of beauty, you still have to get it on your own, right? I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, when you build a business, you have to still go through the same trials and tribulations in most cases that other people do. If you're smart, you, you would have learned from previous people and, and get advice, but everyone's company is different. And so, you know, things that Shea Moisture and Shea Girl went through um, are not the same things that I'm going through, right? Time changes, uh, people change, buyers at different stores change. And so I think the biggest hardship for me was raising capital. It took over two years. Um, and over that string of time, I kept refining my pitch and kept doubling down because the number one thing I heard from everyone was that this beauty brand did not need to exist, right? How are you going to get people to think that skin conditions are cool? How are you going to get people to trust you as a brand if you're showing people with full-blown acne or dark spots on your commercials or on your website? Like, why would people think that this product could work? And so um, I double down again. And I, I proved everyone wrong because I, I think that people don't understand when you're in this demographic and you don't see anything that really gravitates towards you, you feel very much alone, which is also why we've really built, built uh, mental health into what we believe in as a brand. Um, we believe there's a deep connection between skin health and mental health because people with chronic skin conditions are two to six times more likely to experience depression and anxiety. Wow. So as I mentioned in the intro, you closed on a $2.6 million round of funding last August. And I've spoken to so many founders about the challenges that they faced raising money as a black entrepreneur, as a woman entrepreneur, as a young entrepreneur, and you are all three. So you said that it took you like two years to get this done, but what, what was your fundraising experience like? it was long and really gruesome. Again, like I mentioned, so many people just kept saying this didn't need to exist. And I think for a lot of people, that's so disheartening to where you just want to pack it up and just end it. And for me, on a lot of occasions, I literally have videos in my phone that I've never showed to anyone of me, like kind of talking to the camera as my only friend saying like, I don't know if I should keep doing this. It's really hard. Um, I've talked to so many investors. They don't get it. Am I the one that's wrong? Does the market really not need this? 
And so I think it's so great to have a tribe of women who also push you to go forward. Uh, people like Mika Lejean, who is building an amazing company right now that's in stealth, who was my friend from you know day zero of building this company. Um, I've had so many different friends, Mia Imani, who's building Imani of Beauty, who have had my back and who have said, no, this, this does need to exist. Like I use this product, I need this and offered feedback on products, on marketing, um, on visuals. And I think that if you don't have a tribe of women, it becomes impossible, specifically black women, right? Cause they totally understand what you're going through. And I think I am kind of in the minority of being young, black and a female, but I think that that also gave me my special superpower, right? I could see the world in a way that others couldn't see. And that's what I doubled down with during my fundraising process is showing people no one else can build this company the way I can build this company because I've been through this. I've been every single parts of the minority of this conversation. And so I can talk about it in a nuanced way. And so I think that's really what the breakthrough came. And I'll also say um, last summer with the death of George Floyd, that is what really pushed a lot of investors, I think, to really see people of color, see black people and say, you know, there is a lot of work to do here. And so I was really fortunate that the investors at the time were not only really understanding my business model, but then also seeing me as really great opportunity to showcase and to prove that black female founders are the future of business. One of the things I love about your story, and you just talked about the importance of having, you know, Black women there as your support circle. You have the support of several Black women as investors. Uh, Bozema St. John, the chief marketing officer of Netflix, and, you know, we are huge fans of her here at Black Enterprise. Insecure's Issa Rae and Yvonne Orji, um, and DJ entrepreneur Hannah Bronfman. So, there have been so many instances of Black women stepping up as angel investors or VCs to fill in some of that funding gap that Black women entrepreneurs are facing. Was it a strategic decision on your part to pursue them? It was. Um, I wanted to get as many people who look like me in the round. One, because we want to increase wealth in Black communities, but two, because they, like myself, have dealt with these skin conditions, have dealt with being an outsider, so could lend that expertise on how do you break into an industry, right? Yvonne and Issa, what they've done. How do you break into a film industry with a limited budget, right? Hannah is a DJ, an entrepreneur. How do you kind of create things that don't exist, right? Careers that don't exist. And with Bose, how do you be a badass, right? Like, how do you take that marketing spirit? How do you take storytelling to the next level? And so on one hand, I really do want to increase the number of Black investors so we can increase Black wealth in this country. But on the other hand, in order to become great, you have to surround yourself with greats. And I'm so fortunate that each and every one of those women has seen me and has taken me under their wing to help support this business, whether in small ways or in large ways. They've been instrumental in our success. While you were in college, you interned at a VC firm as a venture capital analyst. Were there things you took away from that experience that informed how you approach fundraising? It's so funny because I always forget that that's on my resume. Uh, people are always like, you worked in VC. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I, I did work in VC for a bit there. It was three months. Um, and it was a, a cool experience, right? It was a very different VC firm um, than a typical VC firm. I would say I got a, actually a mix of like private equity and VC. And I think the biggest thing that I learned there is how to be extremely scrappy. VCs want to see that you can do it on a dime so that when they give you 
five, 10, $50 million that you can flip it and you have kind of a, a funnel and an engine to, to keep going. And so I really do appreciate Randall who was the partner there um, at Randy, at um, um, the venture fund I worked at because he saw me and um, really invested in my success. He really wanted me to be successful and really wanted to teach me those little tips and tricks. I think anyone can kind of get a job in VC, um, but there are some small tricks that kind of accelerate your growth as a founder, as a business person, as a student. And um, that experience was very much so an acceleration in those three months. Um, even just from the outside, like hearing you say the words VCs want to see, like that is part of like the missing gap of, of information. When I talk to so many Black founders that the world of fundraising is completely new to them. They don't really, you know, know what they're doing when they start it as, as most people don't. It's such a high learning curve. And so for you to be able to have like, some insight about what they want. Like, do you think that that has contributed to you being the youngest black woman to have raised what you raised? I definitely believe so. I think I've had a lot of experiences I've been blessed with the time at Shane Moisture to understand how do you build a business that's super sticky that people love, right? That's number one. Then I think in BC, it's how do you talk the language? How do you um, frame the problem in such a way that it doesn't look niche, but it actually looks like a huge opportunity? And I think that's the biggest thing that Black founders are still learning is how do you take something that feels like it is a small um, category and how do you blow it up? I think a really great example of this is streetwear and, and something I've been studying a lot is this idea that streetwear started as kind of like subcultural youth movement in like hip hop and skateboarding. And now it's become a multi-billion dollar industry that's rivaling high street fashion. And I think that, you know, if they would have positioned streetwear as just this like small niche thing, which is what it was, right? They wanted to make sure that they served their customer. They would have um, lost out on the fact that like streetwear has now become a big category, right? A big business. And so I think you want to obviously do something that's niche because in this day and age, there's so many businesses that if you're not doing something special, people really don't care. But then in the same like manner, you have to also think about the long term. And I think in our community, because we haven't been fortunate enough to see and be exposed to people selling their companies, people IPOing companies, for us, it's just such a short lens that we have on business, right? And so excited for businesses like Shea Moisture and um, for Main Choice and all these larger brands who are being acquired or, you know, hopefully we'll get an IPO one of these days with our Black-owned businesses, like some of the first Black-owned couples that have uh, IPO'd their companies. And, uh, but a lot of people don't see that. And so it's really hard for us to, to be what we can't see. So um, you mentioned that this is the second business that you have co-founded, which makes you, you know, a serial entrepreneur before the age of 25. What is it that you um, learned the first time around that you made sure that you were like, I'm going to I'm going to do this different with the second business? I think it's funny because the serial nature of my entrepreneurship actually begins with my dad. He's a serial entrepreneur in the medical fields. He's a doctor of physical therapy and so has opened a ton of different clinics um, across Texas and has learned so much. Like during my, like me growing up, um, my mom always was like, you definitely want to work for yourself. And that was very much a small mom and pop type of way, but learned so much about um, different ways to finance businesses. What happens when you take a loan? What, cap what type of capital is available to small businesses? And kind of took that first as my example of what not to do or what to do in, in business. And then with the experience with Shane Moisture, I'll, I'll definitely say that the biggest thing that I learned there is this idea of community commerce. Uh, Shane Moisture has pioneered this idea that, you know, you can do well by doing good, 
which basically means that you make money and you can reinvest that money into the community because we're all we have. And so I took that into to topicals and that's why you see us donating to mental health, creating resources for our community and really trying to be a brand that um, is representative of our community because we are all we've got. It's um, also something that, and, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but because you were a student athlete at the time, you had to fight for the right to be an entrepreneur. What, what was that like? Funny enough, I did. A lot of people don't know this. And as of this summer, so excited that this doesn't really exist as a rule anymore. Um, but the NCAA, when I was in college, you did not own your likeness or your image. And so me becoming a business person or being in any kind of spotlight or pioneering any kind of movement in business um, was really risky to me losing my eligibility as an athlete. And so myself and Rochelle Dennis had to write a letter. We had to petition to the NCAA to allow us to use our likeness and image for the business so long as we didn't take any um, you know, capital that would make us be considered kind of pro athletes or, you know, getting an endorsement because we were an athlete. And so we had a petition, we wrote for months and we, um, I would say we were the first black women in the NCAA to uh, petition and win uh, to be able to create our business. And so I think from day one for black women, fighting is, you have to have a fighting spirit, you know, to do anything in this business, you have to have a fighting spirit. And um, as time goes on, you, you know, you settle in and you make friends. And what my hope is to create space and opportunity for other young Black women and young Black founders to be able to not have to go through those things. Um, but Rochelle and I, um, I would say, have definitely pioneered what it looks like to be a young Black woman who's an athlete, so like a male-dominated field, and to join the business world and be successful in all of those arenas. The other thing I think that um, I hear from you that I don't hear from a lot of other entrepreneurs or that I'll say it takes them some time to get around to that you may have had a head start on as someone who's a serial entrepreneur who comes from a family with serial entrepreneurship and who has an understanding of VC is about your exit strategy. You're already talking about IPOs, about getting acquired. And, and most of the time when people, you know, they start their first or second businesses or they start businesses when they're young, they're not thinking about what the end of that business is going to be. Did you, you know, have a strategy from day one? I think the first thing is to kind of see myself as a reflection of the business and realize that I'm not a monolith. And so while beauty is so exciting to me today, it may not be tomorrow, right? It may not be in, in the next five years. And I think what's so exciting about life now on the internet is you can be whatever you want to. You can be an astronaut tomorrow. I can be a rapper if I wanted to be tomorrow. There's technology that exists that allows me to do all those things. And so for me, I know that I want to be able to use kind of the skills I have and impact a lot of different industries, not just beauty. So that's number one. And then number two, when you take capital from investors, they only make their money back during a liquidation event, which is basically two things. Either your company is acquired or your IPO. Some people end up buying out their investors and end up keeping their business um, family owned, which is also a less well-traveled road, but a road that people take nonetheless. And so for me, I had to understand that going into this because you can't raise capital and not know how you're going to return people's capital back to them. And so that's why I had to start with the end in mind. Again, my experience at Shea Moisture, seeing what happened there, really helped me understand that 
there has to be some sort of ending or story, long-term vision for this company. Um, and I think that I may not be the best person to run this company in five, 10, 15 years. And I want to make sure that at the end of the day, the company does well, not myself, right? It's really about this company, this community that we've built. If I am not the best person to serve this community, serve this company, I would want to step aside and make sure that whoever the next person, leader, owner of this business um, can do so and serve the community. So the media loves to talk about generational differences. Um, and nowadays, especially about the culture wars between millennials and Gen Z. Um, I wore my Gen Z middle part for you today. Um, but I thought about this when you were saying, you know, that you could be anything. You could be, you know, an astronaut tomorrow if, if you want it, which is true because you can become a business billionaire and become an astronaut. And go into the space. And go into space. But it's true for you, I, um, who have like 20 years on you this was not true for me when I was growing up and so you're the first Gen Z founder that we've had on Sisters Inc do you think oh yeah yes do you think your generation approaches business differently I 100% do and we are so grateful and I think we stand on the shoulders of giants like yourselves and other people who've come before us because the same opportunities that exist now did not exist then and so that's why I'm so uh, I would say like excited and like so deep um, in what I do and, and building businesses because we are our ancestors' wildest dreams, right? We can't squander the opportunity that we've been given. Um, and I don't think that life is only about business and capitalism, but I think life is about community, right? And I think at the end of the day, all the businesses I build, I would want them to be based in community. Um, I want them to help the community. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's really exciting that we have technology like the internet. I just think about the fact that like we launched on Instagram and we launched on .com, right? And that didn't exist maybe like 10, 20 years ago. It's so funny. My dad tells me about the fact that he had an idea in, I think he said in 98, uh, I was born in 96. So in 98, 2000, he had an idea and uh, he sent surveys out to different college students to answer, you know, how did you travel uh, back and forth between where you live and where your college is, um, asking about flights and stuff like that. And um, he didn't have access to the internet or to capital in the way that some other communities do. And basically, long story short, he concepted the idea of Priceline before Priceline existed. And because he didn't have access, because people who look like my dad were not building tech businesses like that in the 2000s and the dot-com bust that happened, boom and bust that happened, he missed out on that opportunity. And now today, if my dad had an idea that hadn't been done or was brand new, he could literally set up an, a website, start the business, you know, do the back end, connect people to the flights or to the different things that they want. And he could start a business just like that and market on Instagram. Um, and I think that we're just so fortunate as Gen Seers to have that opportunity. And so I get so excited to see the creativity. That's what's just over the last week, I've been so excited about the creativity that I'm seeing from my peers people who are older and younger than me, it's just this idea that like the world is boundless, right? We're connected to people in China, in Africa, in the Middle East, like we're connected to everyone and we're also connected to ourselves. I think that that idea is so exciting to me. One of the things that I think is true, especially for your generation, but also for millennials is that business and social impact go hand in hand. And you've mentioned that Topicals donates 1% of its profits to mental health organizations. 
Um, I want you to talk about that link between mental health and skin health, but also we're um, at a place right now where we're having a conversation about mental health and Black women that we've never had before with Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles. And so I just would love your take on it. Yeah, um, like I mentioned, Shea Moisture's community commerce really impacted me seeing the kind of impact you can have in the community when you took a percentage of sales and put it aside for um, other communities. And so we wanted to do the same and particularly in, in uh, mental health because like I mentioned earlier, people have uh, this deep connection between skin health and mental health. There's a burgeoning field called psychodermatology right now that, you know, maybe had I known about psychodermatology in college, I may not have started topicals. I may have just got straight into that. But it's this idea that stress uh, can cause flare-ups and then flare-ups also cause stress. And it's almost this chicken and the egg situation where we don't know which one causes which, but we know that when you are under duress mentally, it can impact your body and your health. We've seen this with like the digestive system and people are now just getting hip to this affecting your skin as well. And so um, we're really excited about the research that's coming out there and um, investing in not just like your mental well-being, but what is the science behind this? And how do we get maybe even doctors who look like you into the field so that you have a little bit more confidence in someone treating your skin? And then this idea that Black women are powerful and strong is both a dangerous and powerful idea, right? I think Black women really can do anything, but I also think that Black women are soft. And that's something that I um, am constantly battling with, right? How do you be a boss in the boardroom, but, you know, be a sweet and loving person? And I think that idea that you have it all is, is not real, right? I think like something has to suffer, whether it's like familial or friendships, or, you know, the business, if you decide to choose your family over that. And I think luckily for myself, I have such a supportive um, network of people, but I salute Simone Biles, I salute Naomi Osaka because their ability to say, I preserve myself first before anyone else is an idea that black women typically don't have, right? We don't have that luxury to say that. And it's exciting for them to say that because it makes me want to go take a vacation and say, actually, I'm going to pour into myself and not, you know, work myself uh, to death um, just for my community. You know, I think I also deserve rest. And this idea that rest is good was something that I've recently learned, but excited that it's becoming mainstream. Yeah, rest is revolutionary for black women. It is, it is. I think so much better when I've rested that. And it's so funny because you think that like, oh, if I just keep working, 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 but rest is, is amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Olamide, for sharing your small business success story. Everyone out there, please check out their website, mytopicals.com. And you can follow them on Instagram and on TikTok because we are Gen Z here um, at Topicals. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com to find Sisters Inc. and other podcasts from Black Enterprise editors, writers, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters Inc. on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, show us your love by leaving a five-star review or put a sister on by spreading the word. This is Elisa Gums with Sisters Inc. for Black Enterprise. Thank you for listening.